At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. End of the week edition of the Dunkdown Basketball NBA podcast. A thriller between Golden State and Boston. Always seems to be a great game when those two get together, even with the personnel having changed a little bit. We have to talk about Houston putting up the second highest scoring first half in NBA history tonight against Phoenix on national television. Not exactly the way you want to show out if you're Phoenix in your one game on national TV <laughs> this year. And then we also have some news that's piled up. We want to talk about Robert Covington's renegotiation and extension where that puts the Sixers now that the official numbers have come in and also after Joel Embiid's ridiculous 46 point 15 rebound seven block seven assist performance against the Lakers on Wednesday we didn't record after that game but we want to talk a little bit about his ceiling we got a lot of questions about that during the Twitter NBA show today so that's something we should hit on as well we're sponsored today by mybookie.ag you can use the promo code capspace and mybookie will match your deposit with a 50 percent bonus so let's start with uh, this golden state boston game golden state controlled throughout most of the game with their defense but boston much as they did in that game in oklahoma city a couple of weeks ago danny they were able to get back into it with their d and score just enough to win down the stretch after looking pretty dead in the first half at times this was an unusual usual game from elements of the Warriors perspective because usually they've done better when they have the best players together and Zaza Pachulia has not been on the floor they've struggled a little bit offensively in those moments today he did a nice job on Horford and they were able to defend reasonably well in those minutes so that's what gave the game sort of a different ebb and flow so the Warriors went out to a run at the beginning of the first quarter and so it looked like they had control and so if you had that narrative in your head of oh you know the Warriors are going to do it like that that they're the better team you you kind of got that in your head then they had the lead for most of the first half then boston had that big run to cut it to five then the warriors went on another run to push it at the beginning of the third quarter so you're kind of saying they're like okay well that's what it was but then what really turned the game there were two things i think in the third quarter that were pivotal one was stephen curry picking up three fouls in three minutes and five seconds which really changed the warriors rotations and i had no issues with any of those fouls yeah which one danny larue presciently predicted would happen once he got his second yeah what's he yeah because i I mean, he he fouls in bunches. That's just something that he does. He gets a little bit frustrated. And he was, and you and I have talked about this before, benefited doing the Twitter show with them sometimes because they have so many national games, is he, when he gets in foul trouble, he doesn't stop fouling. Like he got called for the one on Jason Tatum, which was a dead ball foul. That was his fourth. He was grabbing and pulling a lot. And that's not to say, oh, he's a dirty defender or anything like that. It's just that he doesn't play with the, I, I guess you could say it's understanding of how central he is.
is offensively. And so he just gets in these foul trouble situations. And so it garbled the rotation. And then I, even though he was on the floor for some of this, Boston went on that massive run. I think it was 19 nothing at the end of the third quarter and just brought themselves all the way back into it and helped set the table for the win. Yeah, Golden State in that period, six turnovers, 0-4 from the field as they went scoreless on 10 straight possessions. And Curry, uh, the big problem that I had was the intentional foul to pick up his third foul after he'd already gotten his second to try to stop the fast break. That was, I thought, pretty dumb. Uh, But more impressive here is we have to really talk about this Boston defense. I thought that Boston maybe could give Golden State some issues here defensively. But I also thought that there's no way Boston would be able to score well enough against Golden State. And for much of the game, that turned out to be true. But Boston played better defensively even than I dreamed. I have not seen Golden State really look this rattled offensively. And I haven't watched every single one of their games over the last couple of years. But it really wasn't since, for the first time really since the 2016 games three and four, that I felt like they really were just rushing shots. They looked uncomfortable they were surprised at the contest they were surprised at the reduction in the shooting window i mean especially late in with two minutes to go guys like curry kd clay were like rushing these off balance threes just early in the clock that they're just like i gotta get this up immediately just racing to get it off and really it was marcus smart who was unbelievable defensively even though he had a horrendous offensive game and then jalen brown also uh, looked fantastic on d my favorite stat from this game is that about 80% of the shots for each team were contested. I've never seen a number that high. I don't track that for every game. I really only look at it when it stands out either on the positive or negative end. But each team had, I think one had 65, one had 66 contests on about 80 shots each. And it was remarkable. And those were legit. You know, there was people getting in in the way. And as you said, the Warriors looked off balance. And it wasn't as much about turnovers. That's been a big bugaboo for the Warriors. And the Celtics have had some problems with it too. You know, both teams, I think, had 50 15, but they were doing a wonderful job of being in passing lanes, contesting shots, and making every single attempt hard. I thought that Braun, in particular, the best defensive game that I've seen him play, and interesting to note that really the one problem that he has is he can get over aggressive I mean, that's not the one problem but the biggest problem he's had recently is he's been over aggressive contesting shot like demar Derozan got him in the air on a couple of jump shot shot fakes over the weekend and golden state doesn't really have anyone who does that right like they actually like try to score instead of like trying to draw fouls and he was really able to get just some great contests on KD to bother his shot. KD had to make some really difficult attempts to the extent that he was able to score in this one. Clay Thompson, he had trouble with as well. And then Smart just refusing to be screened, uh, really causing difficulty for Thompson and Curry. And Golden State couldn't really get anyone else scoring either. Uh, Sean Livingston in the post, even against someone like Terry Rozier. Rozier has a lot of length. He made things difficult for Sean Livingston. There's a lot of length and a lot of talent on this Boston team. Al Horford also was outstanding in general switching out on the perimeter when needed helping at the rim and it was just a wonderful wonderful defensive game for Boston even in the first half they only gave up 47 points in for the game Golden State averaged uh or got only 87 points per 100 possessions it was an extremely fast game and yet the Warriors were only able to put up 88 points yeah and I you and I both appreciate good defense and so I'm sure there are some people who look at this and say oh you know these are 
two good teams. They scored, you know, combined for 180 points. I loved it. I, I you know, other than some weirdness with the officiating, I, I, I heartily enjoyed this game because I thought both teams played incredibly hard. You didn't have as many of those. I mean, we saw more blown effort plays in the first quarter of Rocket Suns than we saw in the entirety of this game. Yeah, although I, I will say that Boston in the first quarter did not do very well containing Golden State's transition game. Uh, and then they really did such an amazing job at getting back on defense, uh, I thought. Um, just continue. Boston has always defended Golden State well. Last year, they got blown out at home. But uh makes you think that maybe a series between these teams would be a little closer than we thought. But I don't think Boston can score reliably against Golden State over the long term. And obviously, Steph Curry, who was taken out of rhythm by Feltro. I mean, that's really the biggest Achilles heel for the Warriors. Like, anytime they have a really bad game, it's Steph getting into foul trouble. And it is two sides of the same coin there because we talked about this on our broadcast. If you're not going to be Kyrie Irving, if you're not going to be James Harden, it's because he actually tries, right? And they tried to post Steph Curry up a couple of times, and both times he got a steal, right? There was one time he got a foul where Kyrie actually posted him up in transition, like 40 feet ahead of the play, and they lobbed it into him. But uh, he got a couple of steals. Uh, Smart and Kyrie tried to post him up. He executes, he tries, at least he's not a wallflower. So it's still better than the alternative of just not trying at all. Um, but it, it's a real issue. Even on a night when he went three of 14, uh, they still did not look good offensively without him. Um, Brown also, I thought, had a nice game on offense. He really carried the Celtics back with two three-pointers in a row in the third quarter. It put a nice crossover for a fadeaway on as well. He got a couple of dunks on those plays that Brad Stevens loves to run for him. Uh, Back he also got that, that really nice offensive rebound where he went out of his out of his lane and, and basically yes. ran over and got it in front of Draymond Green. I believe they got two free throws out of that extra possession. And, you know, the game yeah, that was that, decided. That play, by the way, I mean, that's we talked about the broadcast, but that is the epitome of rebounding out of your area. Coaches would always tell you that that and Brown started on the right block and went and stole the rebound from Draymond all the way over on the left block and, and ended up getting fouled. It, it was pretty fantastic. Uh, now it's probably time we should talk about the refs though huh this was not the most beautifully officiated game and it was very unfortunate that the most high profile call i believe they completely messed up which was the kyrie irving play on the light like, really gave boston the lead kyrie drove he got contested by draymond green and kevin durant i didn't see much contact if anything from either one of those guys kyrie went down it happens and they called the foul and so that allowed boston to t- i believe that's what gave them a two-point leader then the Warriors shot the quick two and it was definitely to me a favorable whistle for Boston I didn't think it was like horrendous most of the time but it's hard when you have a call that big to get that wrong yeah Kyrie also scored down the end with two free throws with a minute 17 to go when he drove to his right they tried to force him left they weren't able to do that that time and then went to the rim kind of a 50-50 call he went up for sort of a half float or half layup and maybe got a little bit of a bump from Thompson he also had an and one when he back cut Thompson pretty badly on a out of bounds underplay that was pretty bad defense from Thompson. Um, so it definitely was helpful for Boston the amount that they got to the foul line. In fact, the numbers on that 33 of 38 from the foul line that offset miserable seven out of 32 uh, three point shooting. The Warriors also got up 32 three point shots, made 10 of them, although many of them were quite rushed late. Uh, but the Warriors only got to the foul line. 
19 times, making a mere 12 of them. Well, yeah, that, that crazy sequence in, late in the game when they had two offensive rebounds from Draymond Green and missed three shots. I think they missed all three. They missed th- three shots in rapid yeah. succession. All of them were rushed threes, too. They were. Kyrie's final line in those last five minutes, it's been one of the stories. I mean, he, he, of course, missed time with the facial fracture. He, in those in that 453, because that's when he came back, or I, I, that's when he was in, 11 points, two of four from the field, missed his only three, seven of seven from the line, two rebounds, one assist, and one block. And so that pushes his numbers for the season. He is now second in the league in in crunch time scoring with 52 points, but that 52 points has been scored in 30 minutes of playing time. Yeah, and I think part of how Brad Stevens has sold him on playing more team ball, and you know it was frustrating for Kyrie. He was he and Steph were guarding each other at the beginning, and to not just be able to go after Steph Curry. I mean, you think of how how much Cleveland, when he was there, fought to get Steph Curry onto Kyrie Irving, and the Warriors started the game that way. And yet Kyrie was playing team ball. He was running off his screens. He wasn't trying to ISO on Steph, and that must be frustrating for him. Because he was two of ten in this game at one point and it had five points so he was awful at the start and then i think part of what stevens has done to be able to sell him much like phil jackson did with michael jordan years ago and they ran the triangle is okay last five minutes of the game that's going to be your time to go one-on-one and eat and he has absolutely done so even if he was aided by a questionable call or two tonight his clutch usage so far this year 52.3 percent second in the league behind DeRozan, and he has a 67.4 true shooting i mean obviously we're dealing with a 30 minute sample so it's not that big a deal but the usage rate you know that that is what they're going to when you look at boston's lineup it's not that surprising that they're doing it It actually might be closer in some ways to what oklahoma city did last year yeah i think that's an interesting way to look at it for the warriors their offense was atrocious in and although boston played a great defensive game we did see some of the same issues that the Warriors have where against the really good defenses, it's maybe time to abandon some of the off-ball stuff. I mean, Steph Curry, how many pick and rolls do you think Steph Curry ran in the half court today? Maybe two or three, you know, and especially during the period when they couldn't score at all, all you need to do is just put Steph Curry in a pick and roll with Aaron Baines. And yeah, I mean, when, then, when they're then playing you, a traditional you, five out there. Yeah, and then the one time they did do that, they ran a side pick and roll and Curry was able to throw a great pass to the corner. I think it was Caspi, and then he was able to beat what was still a very good closeout from smart and get to the to the foul line which of course he he moonballed two free throws that, that weren't even close um so there are more things that they can do they'll do more of that if they really get challenged in the playoffs you know this is they're taking things pretty easy curry only played 31 minutes Kerr did not come back with him even though he played so little in the first half uh and then in the third quarter Kerr took his sweet time getting it back in and there was actually one mistake from Kerr. it seemed like because Golden State was able to break out to a four-point lead, uh, they were successful in both halves with their reserves against the Celtics reserves and Kerr decided oh well these guys are doing well but then they had already brought Kyrie and Horford back in and so he decided to just continue sitting KD and Steph neither of whom played a a ton of minutes KD was at 35 minutes Steph was at 31 by the end of the game they could have done a little bit more potentially here uh, especially Steph because of the foul trouble and Boston was able to come right back and tie it before they got Steph and KD back in the game just a quick four-point stint when they weren't able to score at all and and, you know, hey, when they're coming back with their good players, so your guys haven't played too many minutes. Yeah, I know all these other guys are doing great, but they're doing great because they're not playing against the other team's good players. 
It's a great point and something that is is worth keeping an eye on as we move into the future because the the Warriors will play much higher higher stakes games than this and that has you know he has a lot of faith in his guys and that has burned them at moments in the past. This has also vindicated a lot of things in the past and the other coaching element like that beyond the the conservatism let's call it it's weird because it's not conservative because almost any other team would go to pick and rolls there it's just sticking with their system and the and the sub pattern thing was i still feel like they're making a mistake relying so much on kavon looney looney played in two stints and just he's so unremarkable offensively really unless he gets the ball as a roll man and dunks it there's not much that he's providing out there and then defensively he's a non-entity he can switch a little bit it reminds me a lot of the mcadoo stuff where he can be there but he's not affecting shots at the rim or anything else and not against good players like he's had some blocks in their games against bad teams sure yeah he's not a high enough level of athlete really to affect the game and i do think that this whole like looney playing all these minutes and jordan bell being inactive like yeah okay maybe looney has played slightly better than bell but looney has never in his life had the impact that jordan bell has had in a few games this season so i know that kerr i think he was annoyed by this jordan bell off the backboard thing and blah blah. but anyway we don't need to talk about the warriors like 19th man here um jason tatum a lot of hype about him people have been talking about even like i wouldn't trade jason tatum for anthony davis which is utterly and completely ridiculous the odds of jason tatum ever having even one season as good as ad has had these last three are extremely low um but tatum did not look good today he did get to the foul line but those included some intentional fouls late and he was negative 18 in 27 minutes um and wasn't really he wasn't really asked to do much off the dribble but just defensively blew a few switches especially when he was involved with Kyrie they took advantage of Kyrie uh who was better defensively in this game than he probably has been a lot of times against the Warriors but anytime that he switched what they would do is they'd set an off-ball screen when there's supposed to be a switch then Kyrie would be like okay it's a switch I can stop trying and then whoever had just set the screen on him would have inside position and then would just roll right to the basket for a layup uh and they got three or four buckets just off of that action against Kyrie. And I was struck in this game, as I often am when I watch the Celtics, about how ridiculous their rotation is when you think that Gordon Hayward could absolutely be, you know, 35 plus minute a guy, minute a game guy with this team. And yet they weren't really lacking in that way. Ojale had a nice 16 minutes, Rozier totally fine there. And so you think about just how that's going to slide everyone down. It might take a year, you know, we don't know when Hayward's going to come back. We don't know what he's going to look like if he comes back this year. But the Celtics are going to be very good. I still, I I have these questions that will probably not be answered until 2019 about how their offense and defense are going to function against the best of the best. But this is at bare minimum, a wonderful regular season team without Hayward. And they're going to be even better with him. Yeah. And this game, I mean, the defense is just far beyond what my expectations were for them. And I thought one of the really impressive things too, I mean, Steph Curry is two of nine from three and he rushed a lot of shots, as I mentioned, Uh, but he would drive to the rim in this game and usually when Steph Curry drives to the rim it's because he's got a bunch of guys on him he's able to blow by and then it's really difficult to get help to him well Al Horford and some of these wings were just really closing down the rim and just forcing him to pass it back out or just dribble it back out he wasn't able to really get anything going to the rim at all he had one cut and that pretty much was it so it was really just one of the best defensive performances we've seen against this Warriors team especially because it wasn't just relying on turnovers it was pretty much an average number of turnovers for the Warriors they just were forced into extremely difficult shots yeah it was it was a, a fun a fascinating game from that perspective where it was you know and and I'm sure some people are going to look at it and say 
oh, the Warriors missed a lot of shots they usually make. And that is, there is a point of that. But they were more heavily contested than they usually were. And I think some of Boston's were as well. It's just that Boston shooters aren't usually as good. And Horford, though, it was surprising to see him struggle from three because he's been so good. But he hit every single shot he took from inside the arc. Yeah, especially in the first half, he hit three very difficult hook shots coming across the lane that were help keep the Celtics at least slightly within contact. Uh, another really impressive aspect of this for Boston is I think they only gave up one corner three in the entire game to this Warriors team. That is very impressive. And one thing I have noted with the Warriors is they took 32 three-point attempts. 25 of those came from Curry, Thompson, and Durant. They really are not getting the shooting from the support players. Draymond Green missed a wide open three. The, basically, the only open shot that either team got late in the game, Draymond Green missed that. They did get the two for one. And then uh, what about the last play? I mean, they were, after Kyrie hit those two free throws, Golden State advanced the ball and basically went to the exact same play that they tried on Christmas Day against the Cavs last year and uh, not as bad of a result but KD got a great look but was not able to tie the game and both you and I and of course Bob Vigaris who we were doing the Twitter show so we couldn't watch it we couldn't follow it on Twitter live but he had his reaction that the best play there when you're down two and you have that possession is just to to take a three I mean you're not going to make it every single time but a you're not giving the other team a chance because I mean if even if Durant makes that shot then Boston has a chance Uh, the Warriors have to get a stop in order to win it and the Warriors have a lot of really good three-point shooters so I think that's a better way to go in that circumstance yeah I think you're right And even if you wanted to say put the ball in Katie's hands with a running start a play that Brad Stevens will run a lot uh or I mean they had all kinds of time too so to even maybe run a stuff pick and roll where you at least have an option to get a three and then they're so freaked out by the three that you then are able to get right to the room and at least get an easy layup instead um or and get that four on three maybe with stuff in the pick and roll but I mean they got Katie and nice look to mid-ranger I thought they could have done more to go after the offensive rebound and then Andre Iguodala usually a smart player for whatever reason after KD missed he just stood there and let the Celtics uh, didn't foul right away and the Celtics were able to run off like almost five seconds before Golden State could foul and then by that point after Tatum hit the two free throws there wasn't time down four uh to come back it was certainly surprising and I don't know how much like you know broad scope stuff you take out of this except that Boston and and I don't I don't know if you have a lot more thoughts on this game but for me the idea that Boston on this run they they did beat some good teams of course they've they've beaten the Thunder on that nice comeback win we did on the Twitter NBA show and then they beat the Raptors but this was facing the best offense in the league by far and they completely held their own and defense didn't have to travel in this game because they were playing at home but the idea of this team being you know like running away with the Eastern Conference and that this isn't you know what we thought when Gordon Hayward went out that this was going to be like a low 40s type team I'm ready and willing to to throw that idea completely out now yeah it's not like anyone else in the east is doing much these days right they are a full three games ahead now of the pistons a team that is probably even more likely to regress than the celtics are and then you've got the wizards and raptors at nine and five uh you want to take a gander at who the fifth place team in the eastern conference is although it is a tie I believe it's the Sixers, right? Uh, they are tied, yes. Uh, but this standing page that I'm looking at must be some tiebreaker. Uh, lists the New York Knicks as the current Whee! fifth seed in the Eastern Conference, tied with the Bucks and Sixers at eight and six. Magic and Cavs tied at eight and seven. Uh, although worth noting that the Knicks have already played ten of their first fourteen at home, so we'll see if they can keep it up 
once they start playing some more road games um a couple more small observations from this one I thought Marcus Morris had a very nice defensive game as well. He's playing some of the best defense that I've seen really after that knee injury has not missed a beat since he returned. I think they missed him at the very beginning of the season. Uh, Brad Stevens did something that Ty Lue never, ever, ever did. And he actually replaced Kyrie Irving defensively uh, for the last possession on defense when KD missed that shot. They took him out of the game so they had all length all switchability out there uh amazing what you can do when you get buy-in from guys and you know it's got to be frustrating for a coach like Ty Lu, who I think kind of fashioned himself a little bit more of like a player's coach and he knew where his bread was buttered in terms of catering to his stars I think even if he did have some ability to reach them maybe that David Blatt didn't obviously so but it's got to be frustrating for a coach like that to be like hey like you know oh these guys just say hey they just wanted to be coached you know it's like well yeah I tried to coach you and uh you, know, you weren't too receptive but for whatever reason Kyrie is so bought in here in Boston and he's still not a great defensive player but uh he's better he's getting cuts to the basket that he hasn't got he's getting like scores on out of bounds plays where he cuts to the rim like he's just playing a much headier game and it's uh it's been really enjoyable to watch him uh to explode here in boston into a more complete player becoming the player that many people already believe that he was that's a great point and i i would say there's a parallel there with jason tatum where both of those players have flaws but are put in wonderful situations for them and deserve a lot of credit for absolutely making the most of it too i will get to more from today's action or at least the first half of today's action in uh phoenix after which the, the game was over but first this from my bookie which has action on NBA, NFL, hockey, and more. Choose your game and place your pick. They have in-game live betting, so you can place a bet after tip-off. And they have an all-new mobile site that makes wagering on the go a breeze. My bookie, especially with their live in-game stuff, is a fun way to make the games more interesting for yourself. And... If you use my promo code CAPSPACE today, we talk about CAPSPACE all the time on the program. That's what the Sixers, of course, just use to renegotiate and extend Robert Covington. If you join now, my bookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus using that promo code CAPSPACE. Once again, visit, visit mybookie.ag today. Use that promo code CAPSPACE. You play, you win, you get paid at mybookie.ag. Promo code CAPSPACE to let them know that you came from us. So James Harden over the last eight games in Houston is averaging 37 points and over 10 assists while Houston has gone seven and one in that time frame, only the last of which was played uh, with Chris Paul available. This first half was an absolute demolition. Harden leading the way, though Chris Paul was plus 21 in 10 minutes and 17 seconds. So they were pretty good. And they they did some together and then some of a stagger. Curry was, or not Curry. I, I did that mistake earlier today. Chris Paul and, and Harden, they actually changed Harden's rest to, to fit what Chris Paul wanted to do. But they were just getting a ton of good looks. They dropped the second highest point total in NBA history and a half, tied with the Nuggets in that 1990 one team it just messes with all of the scoring records no 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 no. oh yeah with that nuggets team and then that same nuggets team also gave up 90 points and a half to the suns in that same season well no they gave up 107 points and a half oh yes i'm sorry thank you yes that's right but so the greatest the the greatest thing about that nuggets one because i was looking this up as i was going down the rabbit holes they lost that game the rockets did not lose this game they did not come close to losing this game but before we get into some of the insanity with that 
first half, and there's a lot that I want to uh, that I want to mention. James Harden played 16 minutes in the second half of this game, and Mike D'Antoni needs to answer for that because. There is no real explanation for that. He was basically just going for fifty points. He finished it yeah. with forty-eight. Um, yeah, no, that that was definitely a little weird. Even like Jonathan Fagan, their beat writer, was tweeting about how, how odd that was. Um, but you know, I mean, that's a, a point we've made before. I think we can focus in on on what made this first half so difficult. It was forty-five twenty-three, and the Rockets really blew it out when Harden sat. As you mentioned, they usually plays the entire first quarter. Instead, Chris Paul came back in for him with about three minutes remaining in the first played that five minutes that Harden sat he played 19 minutes in the first half did Harden and 45 23 after one the second quarter was 45 42 I mean that's like just an unbelievably ridiculous quarter by both teams Troy Daniels was six out of seven on threes in the first half and was still negative (laughs) 12 I mean that's like that's when you know your defense is awful and Harden he had 33 points on only 17 shooting possessions in the first half he had four assists Chris Paul played 10 minutes he had eight points and eight assists and was plus 21 in that 10 minutes ryan anderson was unconscious from downtown he had 18 points and the rockets as a whole this is what their shot chart looked like 12 of 20 from three none of those were corner threes 22 of 25 from the foul line they also got six offensive rebounds to 10 for the Suns. So they actually had a great offensive rebound rate. And then they only took four shots outside of the restricted area from two going two of four on those shots. So it was just Gerald Morey, like he's just going to like go into a back room by himself whenever he's feeling down and watch this first half because it's the absolute epitome of Morey ball. They just destroyed the Suns team. And two of those missed shots in the restricted area were Clint Capella missing his shots and then rebounding them and and then he he turned the ball over after that. So you think about that, that does inflate their offensive rebounds, but that also, it deflates their amazing shooting in the restricted area. How Paul looked to you? He looked all right. It was so weird to see him pulling up from three as consistently and aggressively as he did. You know, like in that first yes. first half, like, that's not a Chris Paul we've ever seen before. I mean, usually he does the, you know, like the driving pull up from, from mid-range and he's phenomenal at that. That was his, part of his bread and butter as a clipper. And he just did it. And he was one for three on those three, but they were all in ambitious they were all clean looks one of them i think was a step too far out that was the one that missed the worst but that was different physically you know i thought he was moving reasonably well there was a time that he he battled on a switch when he had a bigger guy on him he had a couple possessions where he was on devin booker one of them he had a foul that wasn't great but you know i don't think he's 100 percent. but he looked good yeah and he certainly he's never played in an offense with this type of firepower from the perimeter i mean when he's out there with Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson and those guys are both spotted up in the slots or on the wings three steps behind the three-point line like he just has so much room to operate and if you try like Paul might even be a better passer than Harden on those plays if you try to bring in any kind of help against him he's just gonna find them well immediately I mean through a beautiful one-handed hook pass to Anderson for a three right at the start of the second quarter the other the other pass he threw oh yeah was was one of the best passes I've seen this year because nobody else would have 
would really think of doing it. So he basically got trapped in the corner. It was with, I believe it was Capella. And so he started driving the baseline and somehow dropped a pass between his defender, like basically behind his defender, right to Capella, who I think got fouled on that. And, and I think he missed both the free throws, but it was still unbelievable. Yeah. And Chris, he, he spent like the entire possession stuck in the corner and like someone else was standing next to him. And like Chris was just like, get out of here. I'm like, Chris, maybe you should just give it up. Like you've nowhere to go. And then he just somehow scored it along the baseline and threw that impossible pass. It was an unbelievable play. Uh, for Phoenix, it wasn't all bad. Uh, I thought uh, Greg Monroe really gave them something, an offensive presence at center. He had 12 points on six of seven in that first half. Um they have not had any kind of a role man, any kind of a big who can make a play, whether it's passing, whether it's just finishing. They have absolutely no kind of a post threat at all either against switches. He was finishing nicely around the rim. And actually, I mean, frankly, he's probably their best defensive option as well, though this wasn't a great matchup for him with all the spacing that Houston provides. But I mean, he at least tries. Maybe he'll uh, soon learn not to do that uh, because (laughs) he's in Phoenix now. But I think, you know, he started this game at center. Tyson Chandler was out, I think, with... uh with an illness and Alex Len isn't any good so he can actually help the Suns this year it's a question of whether they want that help or not and a question of whether you know if he stays with them all year that he feels like that's going to help him in free agency versus going to, to a contender and playing less because I mean he could he could score 18 points a game with his Suns team I think very easily he could and the combined competence of having Monroe and TJ Warren who's a very smart cutter and and so good in the mid-range having those guys together you just realize the Suns could get easier buckets than they usually do they have to scrap and claw so often for it or they're giving shots to guys who can't really shoot that well so i enjoyed watching them a lot when those two guys were playing together and they also partially got maybe got more time together in different alignments because marquise chris good news is he was only negative four in that disastrous first half but the reason why is because he got three fouls in less than five and a half minutes yeah we talked about this on the tour nba show i think he fouled out of 17 of 34 games in college and which has got to be like some kind of a record to fall out of half your games and then you know he certainly his power rate has been astronomical since then um and this son's backward i mean they started tyler ulis brought mike james off the bench james had been starting but i mean especially if you're going to try and guard chris paul and james harden in the starting lineup with devin booker and tyler ulis i mean ulis tries he was sec defensive player of the year amazingly enough uh, the year he was drafted uh, but you know he's just too short especially against this rockets team anytime he got caught against anyone who could shoot a three trying to close out they would just shoot over him immediately so it was it's really difficult for phoenix with this defensive back heart. they don't have any kind of really a rim protector dragon bender has is not there yet defensively to really being any kind of a, a positive force he can move his feet okay and not get killed on a switch but he doesn't really affect the opposition much he hasn't been the type of player people hoped as a help defender either yet you know mark chris fouls a ton that's a their whole team tj warren still has a long way to go so it's just it's very very difficult for the suns team to stop anyone not to mention this rockets team which i think once paul really kicks into gear has the potential to be one of the greatest offenses of all time and and in fact they were pretty close to being that already last year josh jackson had a couple of nice flashes in that early stretch he had a steal on harden where she ended up getting a dunk and then he had one where it was a nice drive and he ended up blowing the layup but the process of getting separating from his guy and getting to the basket and getting around the contest i thought was all good that shot should just go in with time and with more experience. Three of five from the field during that. And he's not a, a, a perfect player by any means, but you could see parts of why he had some appeal. But the other concern for the Suns, and it's not worth harping on this point, but you look at 
all the point guards in this class. And you think about that that's going to be something that they have to solve at some point in the future. And unless the current read on this year's class is wrong or the free agent class, which is pretty weak, it's going to be harder for them to get somebody in the near term. Yeah. I mean, do you think they blew that pick with Jackson? Yeah, and I thought they did at the time. I mean, I had Dennis Smith third on my board, and it, you know the reasons that he was below Lonzo were more you know the char- the character red flag, and then also the injury stuff. Dennis Smith and Devin Booker as a backcourt would have been fascinating, and you know would it would have been worth the risk. De'Aaron Fox, I think, has looked better than Jackson. Yeah, so far, I think John Isaac, I I, I liked better than Jackson at the time. I think he's looked better than Jackson, and I don't think Jackson is necessarily going to be a bad player. I think yeah. he's got he's just got to cut out the contested twos outside the lane and if he can do that i think yeah he can become an intriguing player his three ball actually looks okay like i don't think josh jackson is like the darko of that top of this class i think he's far better than that but i think it's possible that he's like the kirk heinrich or chris Kamen in that ridiculous 2013 class where there were so many good guys that he just looks worse by juxtaposition although the kirk heinrich and chris Kamen didn't get drafted over guys who were better than him that that were like drafted right afterwards you know the way jackson was and i think I mean, Markkinen looks pretty good too. Nilakina or Jackson it would be an interesting conversation, I think. Um, so Jackson does play more of a, a scarce position. So I think if you had to say who's going to have the better career between those two guys, that's an interesting question to me. But you know, I think pretty much everyone else drafting the top ten below him, I would probably rather have at this point. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's talk about Joel Embiid's performance last night. I, we got a lot of questions on this during the tour NBA show. Didn't get a chance to get to it as much. But basically, what the questions revolved around is like, how good can this guy really be? You know, Tim Bontemps has been all over this that he really has not been able to get into great shape because he hasn't been practicing a ton and he's still going out there and just killing it he has at least been playing you know into the 30s in minutes now they have a plus 11 net rating with him on the court negative 11 when he is off the court but i mean can this guy be a top five player in the nba could he someday be the best player in the nba a lot more likely, as with anybody, that he could be top five than number one. And the biggest reason why it's so hard to be number one as a center is unless you, you're like even a freak beyond the ones that are out there, you're not going to have the ball in your hands that much. And offense is such an important part of this. What makes Embiid and why you and I both fell in love with him as a prospect is that he combines an un- unusual set of skills. So he is defensively, I think he has absolutely defensive player of the year potential. I think he, he has that. He can be a difference maker, contesting shots, defensive rebound, blocking shots. He had seven blocks in the game against the Lakers, which is kind of the background for this. And he can be a very dominant offensive player. He's not going to be your, you know, your, your primary ball handler or anything crazy like that. And he can, you know, he can shoot threes. He can, he's so comfortable facing the basket at this point, and he can get so much better than he is right now. So yes, I absolutely believe he could be a top five player on the Twitter show. Somebody asked this and I made the comparison with Tim Duncan, not saying he'll be that good, but that's the model of how Tim Duncan became a top five player is actually, I think, somewhat similar to what the the argument you would make for Embiid. Yeah, and you can really say that Tim Duncan, other than maybe one Blake Griffin year in 2014 when he was third in MVP, Tim Duncan is probably the last player, maybe KG in 2008 as well, you know, around that era. I mean, Duncan really probably was not a consensus 
offensive top five player once you get beyond 2008 but those are really the last two guys that were top five players consensus since then you know griffin maybe at one point maybe you could say one of these ad seasons but it's very hard for big men in this day and age to get to that point just because it's harder for them to score it's very hard for them to be really good defensively and carry the load offensively as well uh and Embiid has been able to do that we thought hey you know what like he played this ridiculous way last year right he had this 36 percent usage which is just preposterous for a center and you know but that's because they were forcing him every time they didn't have anything else back then but his usage hasn't come down that much he's still at 33.8 this season free throw rate not quite as high and amazingly he's not hitting his threes at all he's at 26 percent right now from three but i agree with you i think defensively he's a game changer i'd like to see what he looks like out on the floor he did struggle a little bit with that against golden state um i think maybe during the regular season i can buy it more than in the playoffs i think he could have some weaknesses but what i will say is the guy because i mean you consider right Danny, like he didn't play at all for two years and just his brain his pattern recognition as kp would say is so good that he is able to just pick stuff up even though he like hasn't been playing it and an example of that i mean he's been playing but like he was so bad against the warriors when he was double teamed and i think finally that got to him and these last two games against the clippers when he destroyed deandre jordan quite a few times by the way who's always been a surprisingly average post defender um and then this lakers game in particular when he had the seven assists i mean he actually was making the right play he's having fewer of these terrible turnovers he's just going right through guys in the post too i mean like randall had no chance against him andrew bogut was getting lit up he was getting fouled left and right he had some beautiful moves in the post to actually like elude guys and to, i mean for him to score these 46 points have this the seven assists is why i said the seven assists was even more impressive than the 46 points to me because we'd seen him score like that on a permanent basis before all that makes you think that he is close to getting there. I'll ask you this. Do you believe that he is the best center in the league right now? We're having a long pause here because it's taking a little bit for me to build the fortitude to say yes. But if if we were to I think ta- he's if, played the best of any he's played the best. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying I would take him over anybody for like the rest of the season just because the injury concerns are so real. But he has been the best center in the NBA so far, and I see no reason to believe that when he is on the floor, that should be any different the rest of the season. Yeah, and Carl Towns has just been so bad defensively. I mean, I think Carl is still a better offensive player than Embiid. Sure, but Embiid, but- I mean, like. Like guys, that's a guys much smaller margin and, and center defense is more important than center offense and, and then Pete, he's enormous man if you see him oh. in person he's like a legit center too and the other guy who's huge too i mean you don't really realize i mean you sort of think of ben simmons like oh you know he's probably like six eight or something now nah, he's like a legit like six ten and he's got a little bit shorter arms uh, than a lot of six ten guys but he is he is that tall and that's part of why he's able to see over the defense so well he's certainly you know one of the best dribbling guys best passers ever seen at six ten but yeah i mean it colored me a little bit skeptical especially in the playoffs i mean if you're going to be a consensus top five player you got to prove it in the playoffs as well and i do think especially defensively that his brand of defense might not be quite as effective and i would i really want to see because i tweeted during the warriors game like 
oh, he's really far away from being a quality option. And he is in the post against good defenses. The Lakers, despite their numbers this year, not really good defense. And the Clippers probably aren't necessarily either. But still, I mean, the strides that he made even over the course of a week uh, in some of these, you know, the sky is just the limit for this player because he's able to address his weaknesses so well in such a short period of time. And the other element of this that makes this season, if they can stay healthy, just such a, a massive success for the Sixers is that it looks like not only is Embiid, not only is Simmons, not only is Robert Covington, which we're going to get to, are they looking like good players? But the question about how are they going to fit together is succeeding better than I ever anticipated this early. Let's talk about Covington now. The renegotiation extension, we discussed it when Stein tweeted out some preliminary details. He was eligible on November 15th to sign it because it was three years since he had signed his contract now he could have done a regular veteran extension earlier but he would have been limited to the josh richardson that four-year 42 million dollar contract and philly had this extra cap space this year and so what they did is they basically gave him a raise this year to use up all of their remaining cap space, which is about 15 million bucks. He was already making one five. So that gets him up to about 16 and a half this year. But the way to think about this is that he added on another four years and the numbers on those next four years, you're allowed to do a decline of 40% in the first year after you renegotiate. Thank you, Nick Collison. <laughs> yeah, because he did a much larger decline back with back in the day with the Thunder that was eliminated in the 2011 CBA. So the maximum possible decline starts Covington at slightly over $10 million next year. So that's designed to give them the absolute largest amount of space in 2018. And then he gets your maximum 8% raises the next three years. So that brings the total in new money to about $62 million. So think of this as like a four-year $62 million extension, but that then his cap hold or, or his, his cap number will be about $4 million per season smaller than it might have been had he not gotten this renegotiation and they could have always waited for him to be an unrestricted free agent he would have had a, a cap hold at the minimum but you're risking him being an unrestricted free agent and he's a very valuable player he could have gotten a, a number that would have blown them away or just wanted to go play somewhere else or who knows you know you don't want to risk it so now the Sixers cap space they project to have about 23.5 million in space they could get to a max contract for a player with zero to six years experience a restricted free agent type of guy a little over 25 million by stretching the 8.5 million due to jared bayless that would stretch that over three years so drop that down to under three million or just moving on from bayless to begin with they could also you know by making a trade also my projections are that they will get that lakers pick and that'll be in the five to ten range so that that could reduce their money if it's a higher pick if that goes to boston however then that opens up another four million bucks or so and then they don't have to move anybody to open up more space and then if they got there and they moved on from bayless completely now you could even get almost all the way up to a 35 percent max they could try to trade away justin anderson or uh, decline or or just non-guarantee tj mcconnell's contract or or you know they move on from Furkan Korkmaz they would have a lot of options to they could trade their own first round pick as well and they're also going to be a lot better so that first round pick probably won't cost as much as my projections which I had them projected at number 10 they're probably not going to be there so they're going to have a lot of flexibility 
next summer but just to go over it here Danny who are the guys that really you think they should focus in on uh and and with the talent they have maybe the sky should be the limit for them i agree that the sky should be the limit the the biggest challenge with figuring it out so if you assume covington and bead and simmons are the three four and five of the future so that means you need you need a guard but the question is what kind of guard because you if you want a point guard then you have to look at a very different way maybe they don't see marco fultz they're worried about a shoulder all those sorts of things see there are kind of two things so one is i think paul george would be a fascinating fit there if he was willing to buy in oh, because you yeah they should absolutely approach him if they can yeah like you he, he would have to be a lower usage guy to a point depending on if he wants to play yeah, the second I, mean, I don't know about that much like simmons could just you know try to concentrate on setting him up and and then i mean that defense also like and that's the what i was gonna Covington get to and george i mean geez i mean that be would be on the short list of the best defensive foundations in the league whether or not they'd execute it or not and also that would slide a lot of their other guys around and i think that another guy who could shoulder the load then alternatively what is been the most common refrain from them is as a versatile defensive guard that's low usage offensively and this class and one of the reasons why i am an advocate for them spending their money this year as opposed to rolling it over to 2019 is because there are a lot of players that fit their mo that are available so you have avery bradley who's unrestricted catavius caldwell pope who's unrestricted and danny green who has a player option which we expect for him to decline now one or more of those guys could resign with their current teams and thus not be available they could even agree to it before free agency starts but there aren't going to be that many teams competing for those guys and the Sixers have a great pitch because it looks like they're going to be really good yeah another guy I would like for them that I think could help a lot offensively would be Seth Curry uh-huh. as a guy who could run some pick and roll shoot a three-pointer off the pick and roll they could hide him defensively he could play next to Fultz in theory as well Fultz I mean and that's of course going to determine so much here is, is what Fultz looks like if he can ever get back we'll talk about him in a second um I think you know maybe they could look to bring back reddick on a longer term deal for less money as well sign him to that first so to reduce his cap hold and then they still would have plenty more to go after and they may still really need a backup center you know i think rashawn holmes i'm not sure that he's quite there uh in that way you know uh, he definitely has struggled against some of the good teams that we've seen but he, he was just coming back from injury they can give um, no well call he might be available <laughs> um you know patrick mccaw is someone that they might want to look at too we'll see what if mccaw can get back into the rotation even uh aaron gordon we discussed him as maybe intriguing fit although you know these guys are restricted too um rodney hood i think could be someone that would be useful for them as well as just another score on the wing i mean i think i think the bottleneck as long as you've got Embiid and covington and simmons actually has looked like he's going to be decent defensively i think your bottleneck is really more offense they do need one more guy who can run a pick and roll and hopefully someone who can run a pick and roll that you have to respect uh, out on the perimeter and that you can't just go under on the way you can with Simmons. Would you consider Will Barton for them? Yeah, seems like more of kind of a bench guy as well. And the question of where Sharich fits in with these guys long term, the way he's shot the ball this year has been very encouraging. The fact that he's been in the starting lineup and has been able to hold his own uh, since Jared Bayless went out, I certainly think that Sharich should stay in there, especially because, you know, they want to see what they have in him and how he fits with all these guys. Um, 
you know, I, I think someone like a Channing Fry, you know, as a backup center could be a, an interesting option for them. But really, I mean, the big guys, I'm sure they would even try to pitch LeBron James, although his fit with Simmons is certainly a, a questionable one. If you get can get LeBron James, you obviously just do it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> even even like Chris Paul, they would probably ask him. Isaiah Thomas would be a nice offensive fit on this team as well, um, as not maybe well, a pure point guard, but a, a scorer who, who could play with Simmons. And what they could do with Isaiah is I, I think the market for him is going to be drier than he's hoping not only due to the hip oh, issue yeah. but but getting older so I mean, who knows? The, maybe he'll kill it uh, with cleveland you know, maybe he'll then, be back I, to I the just, same player but i just yeah. don't think there's as much of a market for it especially with teams like the bulls that have money probably not interested in a guy who's going to be 29 and, and is under six feet significantly under six feet and so isaiah what they could do if they wanted was give him more money in that first year unless they had a second guy they would want to pair with him with that money and then have him descend so that at that point it becomes more tolerable as guys like Simmons get more money yeah Lou Williams would be another guy maybe they could bring in as well but really I mean there's nobody the three and D type of guy that you're talking about would be nice and KCP at least could run a pick and roll he's younger he would probably be the first guy to go to I think their priority would probably be Bradley instead um but so much depends on whether Embiid makes it through healthy whether Fultz actually can start looking like at least like you know give some hope for the future when he returns from this weird shoulder slash confidence injury uh and then you know do they get to the playoffs do they win around in the playoffs you know how how do those guys look there i mean so much to determine here but i mean these guys look great they're fun right now but does this team actually continue winning games do they win a playoff round you know in the four or five could they get to that type of level that's a big big deal compared to just you know they're the eighth seed and they get swept in the first round i just thought about the possibility of them facing a team like the raptors in the first round yeah i mean pretty much the entirety of basketball twitter rooting for the sixers (laughs) in that uh all right let's uh talk here about some news Woj, and this we'll see what else comes out on this uh Woj reporting that adam silver and michelle roberts met with members of the new commission on college basketball in dc on thursday not sure what's going to come out of that yet um so we'll report when more details come out there uh got some other injury stuff to talk about too in orlando dj augustin hoping to return from that hamstring injury over the weekend and uh, jonathan isaac has been out uh, with a sprained ankle but is out of a walking boot and in theory could return over the weekend as well uh what else we got here a couple of unfortunate injuries for young guys that we enjoy. Okara White fractured the fifth metatarsal in his left foot and will undergo surgery. There is no timetable set for him. And, and, and he, that that's fifth metatarsal is probably a Jones fracture. So, you know, for some guys, that's six to eight weeks, um, especially for a young guy who's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. You imagine that he's not going to get like the babying treatment necessarily. Um, and you're, you're about to go somewhere else now. DeLon Wright. So DeLon Wright dislocated his right shoulder against new orleans and as last i heard they were still in the evaluation period for figuring out what they wanted to do and he's looked nice as their backup point guard and that's the same shoulder he had issues we had surgery on before right yes it is and, and that cost him much of his rookie season uh and it really a shame because he had a wonderful game on tuesday that we talked about against the rockets uh dorian finney smith dfs uh out with knee tendonized for a while and not that he's so amazing player but dallas is extremely thin on the wings and just to have someone who can defend on the wings even if they're not hitting a shot gives some athleticism that they just don't have much there especially with curry out already uh, the clippers continue 
to nose side they've lost six straight Patrick Beverly will miss at least one to two more games with knee soreness and Gallo with that strained glute same thing uh, they will not play on the first couple of games it sounds like of the Clippers upcoming road trip and so I mean this this could spiral out of control quickly for them R.I.P. Uh, Blake Griffin's 2017-18 uh, MVP candidacy that people were talking about after the first four games. And as is common for Western Conference teams, you know, they have a lot of good opposition. They don't necessarily play them right away, but, uh, you know, I still would say it takes a couple games for, for Patrick Beverly to be integrated. First of all, they play Cleveland on Friday, so that's going to be a challenge, especially without these guys. But then they play Charlotte, and then the big problem is going to be, you know, this December. Minnesota, Minnesota, Washington, Toronto, Orlando, Washington, Miami, San Antonio, Phoenix, then Houston. Like that's that's just rough. Like, you know, even if they were at full strength, those are gonna be a lot of hard games to win. Also at the the bottom of the West playoff picture, Mike Conley did not play on Wednesday against Indiana with that sore Achilles going back to 2016, where he missed a ton of time with that and discouraging. There could be more maintenance resting coming for him. David Fisdale saying that this is something he's been struggling with since day one of this season. Not good to hear that. And you remember, especially with the Achilles, this is part of why we were down on Memphis last year. And I think maybe both of us kind of forgot about it a little bit that Conley had this issue, but you know, the Achilles doesn't really heal on its own. I mean, the inflammation can kind of go away but like if you suffer a partial tear it's sort of like all right well you're just it's going to continue to be an issue and then maybe eventually it tears it also I think is that's kind of what happened yeah. with rudy gay he'd yeah, been suffering like ongoing achilles soreness for quite some time and it's not a surprise that it looks like the bottom of the west playoff picture could end up being a war of attrition that has happened in prior years where you have a lot of really talented teams the jazz are are sidetracked by rudy gobert already the clippers with all of their maladies and so we'll see if they stay healthy but that might open the door for the blazers and the pelicans and teams like that and of course you know the top of yeah. the and the pelicans will stay healthy though we can count on them at oh least. absolutely markel fultz brett brown saying a quote essentially the problem is his shot and his shoulder still no timetable for him to return he's scheduled to be reevaluated re- in a week to remember they mentioned that three weeks reevaluation but it sounds like he's not like shooting basketball shots normally and whatever this issue is with his shoulder real or imagined uh he's not going to be back on the court until he's shooting shots with his normal shot i mean it could be that behind closed doors he's just struggling to regain his form and he just you know it still looks really bad and they're just not going to let him out (laughs) there until it looks good again and you know who knows how long that'll be i mean there it sounds good that they at least have gotten all on the same page now and that there's this idea that it's this injury and maybe you know who knows how bad that really is but whether it's a real injury or kind of a eh, you know we're gonna hide behind this until he gets his shot right again uh i still think it's the right move to just not be trotting him out there for people to be going crazy about how bad his shot looks speaking of who knows how long it'll be Kawhi leonard is still out and fortunately the news from pop is that he expects him to be back sooner rather than later but we still don't know what the heck that means yeah pop even said i have no idea what that means after he said sooner rather than later but you know you'd have to imagine a couple of weeks maybe you know i don't know uh uh that seemed to be the impression that some of the san antonio beat writers we're getting and okay that'll do it that'll close out uh, our week here hope you guys enjoyed the twitter nba show those of you who watched it and we'll be back 15 and 60 eastern conference style on sunday night catch you all then this is my favorite time of year of course because the nba is back there's always a game to watch and on your smartphone you can always have access to the latest scores and highlights if you switch to net 10 wireless now you can get double data for life on unlimited plans starting as low as 35 dollars. so the way to get started with them is visit net 10 wireless that's net 10 the number 10 net 10 wireless.com to reference terms and restrictions of service and get more information on double data for life it's a game changer 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.